land tax, stamp duty, tenants. Sure, property is great, but there are easier ways to get your passive income, sometimes with franking credits. Through ETFs or exchange-traded funds, you can buy a basket of shares in many different companies in one trade. BetaShares offers Australia's broadest range of ETFs, including income-focused funds, which aim to provide yield-hungry investors with attractive income streams. Discover the BetaShares range of ETFs and how simple they can be to invest in by going to betashares.com.au. Read the relevant PDFs and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. This is a podcast by the RASC Group. It's for educational purposes only. So please do not make a financial, legal, investment or taxation decision based on solely what you hear in this show. Welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. We're on a mission to be Australia's most trusted property podcast. I'm Owen Rask, founder of the Rask Group. I'm Pete Wargent, author and buyer's agent. I'm Amy Lenardi, and I am a buyer's agent. I'm Chris Bates, ex-financial planner and mortgage broker. Together, we'll take you through every step of your property journey. From first home buyer to decades of property investing. Welcome to this episode of the Australian Property Podcast, Chris. Owen. It's good fun. Um, as you may be aware now, having listened to a few episodes of this show, we are on a mission to be Australia's most trusted property podcast, uh, and we're well on our way. Uh, Chris, it's my pleasure to have to be hosting you on this episode because <laughs> we're going to be asked. I'm going to be asking you all the questions that people would want to know about financial advice because you're a former financial advisor, uh, and also about mortgage broking because you are a current mortgage broker, and this is what mm. you do each and every day. Uh, so maybe we'll just start at the top. Why would someone use a financial planner and why would someone use a mortgage broker? Look, they're not competing roles. They should actually be a team. They're both doing different things. Um, and I guess it's sort of figuring out, look, you're looking to try to buy your first home. Maybe what you really want to figure out is, you know, what you can borrow and, you know, what's the repayments going to be and can you afford and what's a good asset. But, you know, I think arguably you'd also want a financial planner's view on, you know, is that the right decision for your stage of life, et cetera. So they're different. They're not competing. Um, so ultimately, if you could afford them both, you know, mortgage brokers paid by the bank, so that's easy to afford. But a financial plan, if you could afford them, it'd be wise to just sound check your current decisions you're thinking about investing if you're a young person, but also your insurances and your wills and make sure you've only got your one super fund and, you know, education around budgeting and cash flow. And there's so many other things a planner can do that, yeah, you might have bought a property, but you've got all these other holes and this is where a financial planner can work side inside. Plus your life's changing, you know. All of a sudden you've got the pay rise at work or you have a, you meet a partner or you start a business or you whatever it might be, your situation changes and a financial planner can then recalibrate and say, well, is that really the best decision with your first property? Should you upgrade or should you put more into super? So a financial plan is really like a personal trainer for your life really over time and that's how you should use them. Um, not just on one-off advice. Yeah, okay. So maybe the, that's a good analogy. So the, the financial planner is kind of like holistic, looks at kind of everything, um, whether it's from a high level or sometimes in the nitty-gritty. But then mortgage broking is specific to finance for the most part, you could say. And when would you typically engage with a mortgage broker? Then, like, When's the best time to go and seek out the advice and go through that mortgage process? Look, I think I would actually go quite early on. I think even if it was two or three years away, 
if you had a good broker to sit down and explain to you borrowing capacity, understand if you're thinking about starting a business or you know how much income you need to earn to buy those type of properties or deposit, et cetera, or how does LMI work, et cetera. I don't think it's too early to start your education because sometimes things take time. You know, you might have some credit card debt, you might have a, a car loan, or you might be thinking about buying a car and you now realize, well, that's not a good idea. I want to buy a house. So I think going to a broker ultimately even if it's a couple of years in advance you it's only going to make yourself be so better prepared for when you do get to that stage or bring it forward i think the challenge we sometimes see clients come to us as brokers and um you know we can't tell them what they want to hear sometimes because they say oh i thought i could buy with a twenty thousand dollar deposit well no no you need x percent um or you know they're not going to take that job because you know you just start a business and you need two years financials or you know you've had three months off work and you're gonna have to get through a probation etc so I think the more you know around lending, the better mm. prepared you're going to be over the next couple of years in the decisions you make because sometimes there's an opportunity cost of, you know, maybe starting a business or something like that. Yeah, I definitely had that, right? Because yep. <laughs> I, I could be rules. So just as a rule of thumb, if you do start a business or you are currently running your own business, how many years of financials do you typically need? Look, if you've got a job in a new company, it's pretty crazy. You know, even if it was a similar job or you've got a pay rise and you started there the next week and you have one payslip, a bank would lend on that money. <laughs> so you're still on probation, but a bank would lend on it. If you start a business, you need two years ABN generally. You need at least one year's full financials. Um, and if it's only one year's financial, then you probably need a couple of bazzers as well. So usually when a biz- you start a business, it's not going to be two or three years till you're going to have a good track record that a bank's going to lend on it. So mm. even um, so, you go from being able to borrow money while you're working to not being able to borrow money for three years, which could be an amazing decision for you long term. But there might be a consequence on a lending point of view where you know you may mm. not be able to enter the market, or you might not be able to upgrade your home, or and you just got to weigh that into your decision, um, or maybe you make those decisions before you start a business. Yeah. So that's a really important point: is making sure that as a if you do are a sole trader, a tradie. You've got something like this. You do have your financials for your business looking ship shape and a mortgage broker can help coach you through that about like how do you improve borrowing power, how do you minimize expenses, save money, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so how much does it cost to see a mortgage broker? Look, it shouldn't technically be any fees. Some brokers will charge fees, you know, okay. because it um, they'll go, well, the time it costs me to produce that advice, may I might lose that money if um, you don't purchase. Yep. That's a rarity. You know, 99% of brokers won't charge you any fees um, and they'll, they'll be remunerated by the banks. Now, there's been a whole Royal Commission, et cetera. All the banks pretty much pay exactly the same upfront commission to a broker and the same ongoing. There's not really a conflict where if they recommend this bank over that bank, um, so in that ba- that broker would be paid after you settle on the loan. So to set up a pre-approval, they wouldn't be paid, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you just uh, – so it's not till the actual loan settles till they get paid, yep. Okay, so they've basically paid out of the amount of money that you borrow, the bank pays them. Um, and then how about for a financial planner? Like what are the – can you just describe generally the models? I know that the, the general rule of thumb is like anywhere between three and $5,000 minimum at the time of recording for most comprehensive advice upwards – how like when is that cost paid and how is that different look you should be paying an advisor a fee for the statement of advice basically um they might even charge an implementation fee as well so they might split it into two fees look the advice is three grand but if you implement it's another two grand um and then ongoing you know and the reality is is what you really want is that ongoing coaching to actually uh make sure you actually do what the, the advice is um and so you know that could that varies planner to planner the reality is Planner numbers have gone from 
25,000 odd down to say 15,000. Um, mm. And for young people, um, it's really hard to build a profitable business and to, you know, unless the fees are quite significant, right? And so they might sound like a lot of money, but the advisor's trying to, um, needs to charge those fees, not only for being a profitable business, but for the, app, uh, the admin, they the, actually compliance. Have, the compliance they have to go. I mean, a, an advisor wouldn't be, be $50,000 to get licensed, for example. That's that's not a stretch yeah. um, if you had a you know a couple of advisors, for example. So, um, yeah. yeah. So, so it's a, quite a different model then where you've got advisors that are being paid out of your pocket um, and ongoing if you choose to do that. And then you've got a mortgage broker that's paid out of the, I guess, the, 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 the application for the loan successfully going through, uh, which are two very different models. You can see why so many... Um, people use mortgage brokers, but maybe not as many people use financial advisors because there's so much friction with the advisors, even though what they deliver is brilliant. And as they say, like the true cost of advice is like below zero because you actually, you should from good advice, you know, you should be getting something back in return. Yeah, and I think the good thing about the financial advice world is it's moved away from a commission-based model. So before it would appear the advice was free, whether you walked into a bank, which mm. no longer really work in advice, or you walked into a, you know, another big like a uh, insurance sort of company, which is, you know, yeah. the, the, and you would have said, oh, well, the fees for the advice is only $500. What you wouldn't have known is that the commissions they would have made on your insurance were super large. Maybe there were some investments that they got kickbacks and volume-based rebates, et cetera. So the fees appeared to be smaller, but there was kickbacks the advisor would have got. Now, those have really all been removed. And so when you know you're paying a fee for service, you're getting that for advice. And I think mm. the best advisors can articulate that advice in terms of the strategies that they're going to implement over time are going to pay back that advice fee. And, you know, they, they could be simple strategies that you may know, but if you haven't implemented them, then they're costing you money. And that's where a great advisor will be. These are the three or four strategies you really need to implement over the next six to 12 months. Then after that, these are the next few that we'll implement, et cetera. Mm. So I've got a couple more questions just around how do you know if you go to see if like a mortgage broker, we're just talking about this over lunch actually, how do you know if you're trying to find a professional mortgage broker that they are good? Like how, what, like how do you tell? Look, it is really hard any professional because um, the first thing you really want, if a broker is really trying to sell you on rate, um, then I think they're missing a trick. They haven't really got that full picture of you that that's not the service they're providing. They're helping people. They're guiding people. They're giving people advice. They're guiding people through a home buying journey. So, so you need to- Sorry, Chris. So they're just saying like, if they're trying to sell you on rate, they're trying to say, we'll get you a better deal. Is that what you mean? Or we'll get you a good product. They're not trying to help you obviously achieve something and actually do that right, which is actually purchasing a property or upgrading a home or doing a renovation. So a great broker won't even focus on rate or won't even talk about the bank because- in great brokers' minds, they're all just different colors. And we'll pick that at the end once we know what we're doing. What they want to do is figure out what's the right move for you and then how do I structure that and is there any issues with the credit policy? So they're asking you lots of questions about those sort of things, not so much trying to just sell you on their service around getting you a better rate. And I think that's the key part because what you want is a broker that's going to – the reason you go to a broker – over a bank, arguably you should get the same rate, you know, if you go to a broker that negotiates well. Mm. But what you get from a broker is a long-term relationship. Someone that, you know, as your life plan changes, I've purchased my first home, now I want to do a reno. Actually, now we want to upgrade. Now we want to buy an investment property or, you know, et cetera. So that's what you're getting with a broker is a long-term relationship. And you want someone you can go and trust as a sounding board and to help you think through your decisions rather than, hey, can you just always get me a better rate? And he's not adding any value besides, um, you know, just selecting a bank and mm. i think a lot of the great brokers won't do that because they know that that's just a ticking time bomb because there's always good rates changing in the market um and that you know people stay for great advice they don't stay for a great rate mm. how about for um 
experience is that something that you would look at if you were going to approach a mortgage broker look it's easy for me to say that because we've got nearly close to 10 years experience and we've written a billion dollars of home loans right i know how hard it is early days as a broker but i also know with all that experience how hard how much i didn't know then and how much i know now and so i do think you you need a bit of experience but you also need to you know because a you need to know how all different banks work you need to have the relationships with the banks um, you get better service models if you're writing a certain amount of volume, et cetera. So it's not to say someone who's been doing it for a year or two can't help you. They might be super on the ball and really have um, educated themselves. But, you know, I do think experience matters to a certain extent because you do need that sort of broader perspective and understand how markets in lending move. You know, we were very against putting money people into non-banks over the last few years, but a lot of new brokers were putting people into non-banks because it was much easier to get them through and the rates were cheap and, you know, we could always see there's a ticking time bomb if funding costs went up. So experience definitely does show you, um, you know, is learnings in lending, put it that way. Yeah, non-banks being like credit unions and that sort of stuff? Uh, more people who haven't got, mainly not the big banks, you know, so their funding lines are usually wholesale funding. You know, a lot of digital banks are, whole, uh, are non-banks, you know, or have wholesale funding lines. Okay. Um, and, you know, their, their funding pool is much smaller and if the funding cost goes up, then they have to pass that on to consumers. Yeah, so they've um, got more interest rate increase. Yeah, massive. And they can't reduce their rates, you know, because their funding price has gone up. Whereas, you know, a big bank like a CBA is borrowing money from all over the world and all different pools, right, and have access to that because of the scale they've got. So yeah. you're much safer with one of those from a rate increases than you are at a non-bank. And, um, yeah, that's just one of the examples. I remember when... So I was, I remember when I first started in this industry, I was very, um, I wouldn't say anti-broker. I was just like, well, why do you need a broker? I was mm -hmm. like, I'll just go to the bank directly and just, I've got my pay slips. So I'll just go figure it out myself. And then having gone through the buying process, now I know how valuable it is to have someone like I used you as our yeah. broker, yeah. which is awesome. Um, so I now know the value of that and having that relationship on an ongoing basis as well, which is just tremendous. And, uh, I think it's not just me, right? There are millions of Australians that have gone through brokers and that rate just keeps increasing and increasing and increasing and increasing. Uh, if people were not in mind to go and see a broker, what would there be any advice that you have for them? If they're not seeing a broker? Yeah. Um, look, I think you need to know ultimately, if you've got a very vanilla um, situation, you know, two pair YG, no bonuses, no commissions, mm. um, great credit file, you know, um, your multiple of income is really low, like you're on 300 grand a year and you want to borrow 300,000, like um, then, and you've got heaps of equity, then uh, you probably have no problems going to all the different banks, mm. right? And if you just want to, so that's a, it's a pretty easy thing to go through any bank and you could walk in and just say, because you're a great customer. As soon as you start going up a bit more of a, you know, uh, haziness there, maybe it's a business, maybe it's bonuses, maybe it's contracting. So income's changing um, or there's issues with your credit file or you're on a higher LVR or a smaller, you know, it's a smaller deposit. Um, you're trying to borrow a big multiple with your income. This is where a broker is going to say, well, if you lodge that loan with so-and-so, that's not going to get approved. They're more conservative than, say, this bank and that would bank would lend you, mm. um, you know. Uh, and there's a risk to doing that, isn't it? Isn't it when you get... Um, knockback applications other bank can other banks see that or? yeah absolutely it's all in part of your credit file so you'll see that there's a application lodged and it was declined and i think that's as soon as you see that a bank will see that when they first start assessing your file they go, why did that bank decline it they're already on the bank back foot so when we have clients who have come to us after going to multiple lenders we have to put significant notes in there to say look this client came to us recently and they were shopping the market they didn't really know what they were doing there's nothing wrong with them they just 
didn't present their file in the right way. This is why it should be approved. And so it can give yourself a bit of a bad smell and upset your credit file. It happens a lot with the digital banks at the moment um, mm. where people are seeing a great rate online. And those great rates are usually not far off what a broker can get you anyway, if not sometimes better. Um, some of the big digital banks, we can get better rates than at the moment in their advertising. So um, and what they'll do is they'll lodge an application like, oh, you know what, they don't do loans over 80% and the, and the evaluation came in low. Or, you know what, it's a guarantor loan. We don't do that. It was a construction loan. Or I want cash out more than 100000 They don't do that. So there's all these things, the credit policy that you won't know because it's very hard to mm. know what you need to apply in your situation. Whereas we don't get any decline loans. We will know that what a bank's going to look at. We'll know whatever, any, what, if there's something that's a risk, we'll talk it through with credit. We've got direct access to credit. We'll get them to approve. We'll put that on the file and then we'll lodge the deal. We don't just sort of throw mud on the wall. And when I was talking about experience with brokers, it's definitely something new brokers do. They just don't know what they don't know and they just sort of lodge and hope. Um, and the problem with that is that then the credit assessor says, hang on a sec, you're trying to use the full bonus, but they didn't get paid that last year. So you can use half of it or you can't use it at all. And then the servicing calcs out and then it gets declined. Uh, and mm. then you end up going to another bank and it gets declined, et cetera. So that's one of the things that credit brokers do. They have that experience not to get declines. Mm. Okay, so I'm just I just want to kind of round out the conversation on financial planning as well. I'm a huge advocate of financial planning. Yeah. I think it's fantastic. The thing is, there is an upfront cost, which is they're professionals. That's what they need to get paid for that. Um, but it, there are a few moments in your life, like if you have things like um, a business success, if you sell, or if there's like some sort of windfall, or if there's like a, someone passes away, you get inheritance. If there's like you need to get like insurance or risk advice, you should always go and do those things and look at those and educate yourselves on those. And particularly, I will call out uh, as you approach retirement, getting good financial advice is so important. And to Chris's point, they should be working with the mortgage broker and they should be working with your accountant and anyone else that is in your trusted circle of advisors because there's no reason that you have to choose one or the other because they do separate things. Yeah. An accountant does a separate thing again. So you should be building this team around you. And if you do want to find a financial advisor, what I'd say is there are some websites that you can get the Financial Planning Association. There's, you should always check the AFSL. That's the Financial Services yep. License. That's on the Money Smart or ASIC website. Make sure you, they have an AFSL before you engage with them. Hmm. Like make sure you see that. Like they should tell you, this is our Financial Services License. You can go and look it up because that is so important that so many people think they're speaking to a financial advisor when they're actually not. Mm. Um, so that's one final thing that I'll, I'll just tuck on in there. And if you do want an independent financial planner, a purely independent, there are websites like PFA where you can go and you yeah. can find out more about them. But mate, um, this has been a pretty, this has been a great kind of like, uh, I guess, overview of the way the industry works. Um, so just to recap, we've got financial planning can help from a holistic perspective, maybe not always the best when it comes to getting individual property advice. We've got Amy and, and Pete that appear on the show regularly and they are buyer's agents, so they help with property selection and that. And then, of course, mortgage brokers like yourself who help with the financing, the strategy piece as well. Uh, is there anyone else that maybe people should consider in their circle? Look, I think sometimes it's important to get tax advice, you know, depending on how complex your situation is and you can look at different structures, especially if you've got multiple assets, et cetera. For, for the layman's person, tax advice, maybe not that important if it's, you know, your first home and you're buying it together as a couple. I think just with the financial planner is, yeah, absolutely, you could go to a planner for um, some advice. And I think if you're thinking pre-retirement, don't go to a planner when you turn 50. Go to a planner when you turn 40, yep. you know, because if you go to them when you're 50 or 55, they're on damage limitation 
and that you're asking them to write mag- wave a magic wand and fix your retirement. And what they generally need to do is to help you to invest and time's the biggest asset that they need. And so if you're thinking about thinking about your retirement, think about it in your 40s, not in your 50s would be my advice. My other advice with the advisor is just be really careful what they do around property advice. Yeah, It's a really big elephant in the room for them because they don't really know what they're doing, most planners. They haven't got the relationships there and they haven't spent the time to educate themselves there. Lots of reasons why it's not really a product that they get paid to recommend. A lot of AFSLs don't allow them to talk about it. Um, and the danger is some planners are then go partner with things that are basically fronts for developers. Um, yeah. So property research companies and they sell off the plan, et cetera. Um, and so if you go to a planner and then they start pushing you down property and they start saying, buy these new um, townhouses and use this company, et cetera, my, my advice would be if it's, it's be that's the time to run, mindful. you know, yeah. um, because that advice is highly conflicted and it's generally not in your best interest. And yep. the great plan is actually work with great brokers and they actually work with buyers agents. Um, and they'll they'll under, help you think through those decisions with a broker and then go and find the right buyers agent for you. So that's a much better model than a developer company. Yeah, so that, that's a, such a good point you touch on there because um, this is something very particular for the Australian Property Podcast listeners is the kind of underbelly of property and the underbelly of the way we get information, it can be very, very conflicted because the regulation and the transparency, transparency simply isn't there. Yeah. So that's you just that was like a really good. You know, if you're going down that pathway and you see those things on the journey, things like you know, here's like a property developer, here's like a buying off the plan, these sorts of things. Like, just be very careful. Yeah. Any sort of property recommendation is super dangerous for a financial planner, and if they start talking about that, they do that in the first meeting, etc. My advice is go and see another planner. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's 15,000 of them and, you know, there's lots of great ones out there. Um, when I was an ex-financial advisor, I know lots of great planners who, you know, who are the next generation coming through. To be honest, they, they see themselves doing it for 20 or 30 years. So they care about their reputation. They, you know, really care about the quality of advice. They want it to stand the test of time. Um, and their eyes are wide open to these sort of issues. And they're not afraid to talk about the issues of the past. Um, and so I would bring up, you know, and have these conversations with them. Where's conflicts? Where's the issues that you had in the past? How are you getting around them? Um, and the great planners have answers to these questions because they've thought about it a lot and they mm. build a business that's sustainable, not trying to make money off other, some other way. Yeah, that's great. That's great advice, mate. So um, if you want to hear more from Chris, obviously subscribe to the Australian Property Podcast. Uh, there'll be links in the show notes to uh, Blusk as well as how to get in contact with him for uh, mortgage broking and the team. Uh, you can schedule an introductory call. Uh, there is a form there. Uh, I should add for full disclosure that uh, Rask and Blusk have entered into a referral partnership. There'll be full details uh, on the landing page in the, the podcast player. Chris, thanks for joining me. Owen, good to chat. Thanks for tuning in to the Australian Property Podcast. If you love the show, why not subscribe or leave us a review on Apple or Spotify? And if you want to work with me, Amy, Pete or Chris, you'll find links in your podcast player to get in contact with us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Australian Property Podcast. We're huge advocates of getting the right advice at the right time from the right people. That's why it's important to understand that this podcast episode contained general financial information only. It is not designed to be specific or personalized to your financial, tax, or legal situation. With property, the check sizes are pretty big. 
So it's important you get advice from a licensed and trusted professional before acting on the information you hear in RAS podcasts. Thanks again for listening. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.